Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. at Imagine This, the podcast. I'm Trent. I'm Mackenzie. And today we are joined by um, someone who I have the pleasure of calling my friend, but who is also um, an incredible professional in her field, Janice. Welcome. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Thank you. You're allowed to welcome us to our own show. (laughs) Truly. We appreciate the welcome, but we are really glad that you're here. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? I get to already know all of these things, but I want everyone else to know as well. Sure. Um, I am a survivor of more than 25 years of domestic violence. I escaped with the kids about eight and a half years ago and um, really kind of floundered that first year, just really worried about um, how to protect the kids and um, what was going to happen next because we were still constantly being stalked and threatened in so many ways. I realized after about a year that he couldn't keep me from going back to school. And that was really important to me because he had made me drop out of school back when I was about 21. So I went back to school. I had to finish my bachelor's degree. And then I enrolled in a dual master's program at Baylor University. Um, So I have Master of Divinity and Master of Social Work. And that really has prepared me to work with both of those audiences, kind of the, the faith and clergy side, but also the social work service provider side on the topic of domestic violence. And so I bring both my personal experience and the education that I've gained in the last few years um, to the field to advocate for survivors. And I'll, I'll add to Janice's introduction because um, she doesn't brag about herself as much as she should. Um, she's also a certified spiritual director. True. She has served as the president of the board of the Family Abuse Center. Yes. Um, she's a speaker. She's a writer. This is this is her area of expertise, both experientially and academically. Um, and so she's an incredible advocate on the subject. She's spoken before the Texas Congress and a number of other areas. Um, and she, she's incredible at what she does, and we're glad that she's here. Thank you so much. Um, in case you haven't put two and two together, um, we are here to talk one more time about the play that we did last episode, The Way He Looks at You, um, because it deals with issues of domestic violence. Um, Janice has engaged with the script and is excited to talk today about not simply what the script has to say, but why is it important for these stories to be told? Um, So, Janice, we've shared some of our thoughts. We're going to let you lead the conversation a little bit. We're excited to hear what you have to say, um, and maybe a starting question is, as you read the script, what are some of the things that stood out to you or rang particularly true as a someone who this would resonate with your own experience in certain ways? Sure. There were a number of things in the play 
I know um, starting with conversations between Will and Brandon, that Brandon often negated Will's work. Um, it wasn't important to him it, because he was a work-at-home husband and it wasn't in the public sphere. It wasn't seen as visible and so important to Brandon, I think. And he discounted the importance of that. And that's also shown when he interrupted the phone call or the Zoom call uh, that Will was on for work and um, constantly interrupting and just not showing the importance of something at home in the same way that it would be important if it were out in the public eye. I think that speaks to like the verbal and emotional abuse that's common in a lot of relationships. And we tend to discount verbal and emotional abuse a lot of times because we have misconceptions about what domestic violence really is. Domestic violence is more than physical assault. I always say that it's more than bruises and black eyes and broken bones because um, domestic violence is a pattern of coercion and manipulation and um, intentional acts against those who are victimized by domestic violence. And that's so much more than physical assault because it bleeds into other areas of your life. Um, even the lack of compliments that was received in their relationship um, shows a lack of intentionality. Usually in a relationship, we're looking for ways to learn to love the other person. And when that's not seen as important, it discounts the relationship. Um, I think that um, Christian also brought in some areas that we can talk about. He said that um, the abuse about the abuse in his marriage, that it wouldn't, uh, that it would be more real, and he didn't want it to be more real. He talked about it, and I'm mm. probably not saying that exactly right, but somehow we keep from naming what we're experiencing because then we can keep denying its mm. existence. And he didn't want to straight come out and say, "I'm being abused." earlier in the play, but he did um, at the end. And I think that that was important, the, um, the transition in his realization of what he was experiencing and maybe m even more than his realization, his willingness to own it and be part of that uh, description and, and um, realization that he was being um, victimized by domestic violence. Um, Christian says that he hated the way Jason looked at him. And I think... Um, that really rang true to me because if you are uh, a victim of domestic violence, you understand the way someone looks at you, and it can mean threats, like just between the two of you. Like no one else may know that that's a threatening look or a threatening behavior, but you know because you have experienced what the result of such looks means. And in this case, he was experiencing sexual assault because of those looks. But um, I think that someone who has been victimized um, badly or for a long period of time can really understand what those looks mean. You have this um, like protected communication line that is within those looks that you know that something's threatening, even though no one else may understand that. Um, it talks about um, alcohol in the play, and I think it's important to say that alcohol doesn't cause abuse, but it certainly complicates the situation in multiple ways. Um, it just exacerbates all the problems with domestic violence. Um, and then Jason was um, making decisions about who Christian could be friends with, and that's part of the coercion and the isolation that's um, part of abusive relationships. And he didn't trust Christian and Will's friendship, and that is part of um, projecting maybe his own behavior 
onto the relationship and the friendship that existed between Christian and Will. And so I see a lot of things in um, both couples in the play that really spoke to me about, hey, this is something I've lived, this is something I've experienced, and I understand what this feels like. There's a lot to unpack in what you just said, and I, and I would like to. Um, it, it's important that you're naming some of these things that are indicative of what abuse looks like. And perhaps that's one of the things we can name as to why stories like this are important. Because when it's playing out in front of you in real time, it's easier to start connecting some of those dots. Absolutely. That this is a sign of abuse, that this is indicative of a larger problem. Um, Whereas when you're experiencing it, it's harder to put some of those things together for yourself. Absolutely. But when you see it in a more objective way, someone else's experience played out in front of you, it becomes easier to name some of those things. Right. I think sometimes we feel so alone and we're so close to our own situation that we can't see what we might see in somebody else's relationship. And so seeing it um, kind of third person on the stage in front of us does allow us to make those connections that we might not make on our own. So one of the things that you said um, kind of in the beginning of naming some of the things about the play um, is you were talking about the emotional abuse that was experienced by one couple um, and how that can be difficult to name as abuse. Why do you think that it is that it's hard for people to equate those two, that abuse is, that domestic violence is more than, as you said, bruises and black eyes and broken bones? Why is it hard for people to make that hurdle, do you think? There's probably several reasons. I think society has conditioned us to believe that domestic violence is physical assault. So I think breaking down those societal notions that abuse is only physical assault is a lot of work. And I think we're also conditioned to believe that if it's less than physical assault, that it doesn't matter as much. Mm. So maybe um, the emotional and the verbal abuse that's so common not just in romantic relationships, but in the workplace and friendships, we're conditioned that maybe it's part of a a joke or somehow funny, but it's really not. And I think until we change the notions of how we look at um, the large picture of domestic violence, all the things that are included, that we're going to have a hard time always identifying what is not physical assault, but is still abusive Mm -hmm. in our relationships. And I think maybe even a more difficult aspect of what you're naming is that it's not always what is said or what is done, but what is unsaid or what goes undone. One of the things you talked about was that, you know, compliments aren't given, that the work is dismissed. Um, And I... As and I've been open about that this play is largely based on a lot of my own experience. Um, and so I can recall my past relationship and the way in which my work was completely dismissed. Um, I found out later that he was telling people I was a stay-at-home husband, even though I'm very much not. Right. Um, and so it's he never said that to my face, but he also never said anything positive about what I do professionally either. Right. 
Um, and so it's not always what is said. Sometimes it's what's unsaid. And so how do you go about naming that? That's, that seems even a step further removed from what we consider domestic violence to me. I agree. Um, sometimes maybe because in our family of origin we didn't receive a lot of warm fuzzies and maybe compliments weren't a big part of it um, to name these specific things that we're just talking about. They don't, it doesn't ring true to us that we're feeling their absence still. So, um, you know, like kids who grow up in toxic homes go on to perpetuate that toxicity in future relationships. I think the absence of that or the reverse of that is also true. So if we didn't mm. grow up in a home that was highly you know, complimentary and stable and warm and nurturing, then maybe we don't know how to give those warm, nurturing things, but we also don't know how to receive them. It can be on both sides. So um, if there's an emotional void in somebody, if there's an emotional void in the relationship, you may not realize that you've never gotten a kind word or a compliment until somebody outside the relationship gives that to you and you realize, wow, this is new. This is not something I'm used to feeling having someone compliment you can actually be uncomfortable mm. because you're not used to it. You're so used to the opposite, being dismissed and denigrated and, and told how worthless you are. And, and I'll take part of what you're saying even a step further because I, I, was, I was privileged in that I grew up in a home that was warm and fuzzy and loving and complimentary and supportive. I mean, to this day, as both of you know, my parents come to every show that I do. That's so awesome. <laughs> and, and, like, and they don't live in town. They come into town to see every show, sometimes twice. <laughs> right. So like that wasn't my experience. But what rings true about what you're saying is that I come from a conservative household where, you know, I had a mom and a dad. I had zero frame of reference for what it looked like for two men to be in relationship with each other. Um, and so that's not exactly the same thing that you're saying, but I think there's a parallel there where agree. when you have, you know, I had an example of what this type of relationship looked like, but I had no roadmap for what a marriage should look like between two men, which is what I was doing. Um, and so the the rules feel different, right? The, those in in many ways they're not, but in some ways there there are differences that you can't pinpoint until you've experienced it. And two men are just going to interact differently with one another um, than a straight man and a straight woman. Sure. Um, and but I didn't have any tools to deal with that situation. Um, and so what you're exposed to and what you've experienced prior, I think, absolutely affects your ability to recognize the situation absolutely. that you're in. Absolutely. And how about the media in general? Mm. You were talking about a lack of roadmap. So we don't have a lot of media that is going to show positive, healthy, uh, loving relationships uh, between two men or maybe between two women. We don't see that in straight relationships. How many times have you seen um, a romantic movie that's full of possessiveness and jealousy and those things are talked about as forms of love mm -hmm. and they're not they're forms of abuse oh that's good write that one down i mean seriously i mean you think about romantic comedies even right, right. and it is it funny yes is it cute maybe right but how many of those are based on 
often like low-key stalking or obsession or i mean it runs the gamut right but how the media portrays the pursuit of love is sketchy at best i agree what some of the things Denise said um do you want to engage with what what ring out for you um yeah uh, there's a lot of internal processing and reflection happening right now in my brain um one of the first things that you said that really stuck out to me was like it, it took almost the entire play for Christian to verbalize what he was going through and I I, I just think that, like, is a really good representation of, like, the second that you say it out loud, it becomes real. Like, you yeah. can no longer suppress it, deny it, and you can no longer uh, attempt to protect that person, which I think is an instinct for a lot of people. Um, so that that was one of the things that that really stuck out to me about what you were saying earlier. Um, another thing that you were saying is why, I mean, how it's important for people to be able to see things like this and how impactful it is to see it on a stage, because what I think theater does in a very successful way that a lot of other art forms can't accomplish is theater's ability to make people disengage from their daily life and to step into, I guess, this like void of space and to absorb this media and experience that can really force them to take a step back and reflect on their own life and reflect on things that maybe they wouldn't have initially thought they were going to take away from that thing or that they are suppressing. Um, Because for me, I know that things in theater stick out to me at times that they're meant to stick out to me. Like I'll see a show five times and I'll discover something new about it every time based on what I'm needing to hear in life. Um, And I think that's one of the really beautiful and impactful things about theater Agreed. Because, well and when your theater is embodying lives right and so those are multi-dimensional um even if a story has kind of a core message there are other things to pull out from it right like the way he looks at you it's really a story about abuse and how it looks different in different relationships but it makes it no less nefarious frankly um and yet um the conversation that we read in the last episode isn't about abuse it's about the way that people in queer marriages feel pressure that straight couples don't experience and that's one conversation in the whole play and yet when we workshopped it that conversation was brought up by audience members every single night after the play um because it as some as people who aren't in queer marriages that conversation stuck with them cuz they're like that's 
I would never have thought that that was a part of that experience. Um, and so that's the power of theater is that depending on who you are, what your experience is, as Mackenzie said, where you are in life at this moment, there's something there for you. Um, but it's cool because all those things are intertwined, right? Like that conversation is about the pressures that people feel, the pressure that I felt as a gay married man for that marriage to work. And yet that feeds back into the cycle of abuse because you feel less able to separate. You feel like you ha don't have other options. And so the words that um, the partner is saying, and this is something that I don't know if you said just now or something we talked about earlier, Janice, um, but one of the husbands in the play makes a comment, oh, the only way one of us is leaving is in a body bag and like laughs about it like it's a joke right. because divorce isn't an option. They're so committed to each other. Um, but those feelings of pressure and then statements like that all really create this inner turmoil of feeling like there's not another option. So you just have right. to make it work. Right. So the one in the relationship who's being victimized equates those words of the body bag comment into I have to die in order to get out of this. And that just brings up additional conversations outside the scope of this podcast, but things like suicide that are tied to domestic violence when they think that's their only way out. Mm. So I'd like to shift the conversation slightly. I think there's a lot in here that you've highlighted really successfully, Janice, about the signs of domestic violence that people may or may not recognize as signs of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. um, so to circle back to kind of our main point here, why is it important for these things to be on stage? Um, and I want to think about it in terms of both for people who may have experienced things like this. Like, why is it important for you or for I to see a story like this performed? But then for other people for whom this isn't their experience, why is it also important for them to see a story like this performed? Sure. If for people who are in abusive relationships, I think it's important to know that they're not alone mm -hmm. and to put words to what they're experiencing because maybe they've never um, equated what they're living with as abuse. So s having someone else say that sometimes is helpful. But it's also helpful that we educate the people around us because we need support systems. And if our support systems don't understand domestic violence or the types of abuse that exist or things that happen within abusive relationships, it's going to be harder for them to support us. And we need to be support systems for each other, and we need to learn how we can support those who are in abusive relationships or coming out of abusive relationships. All of those are important for part of education. One of the comments that stuck with me the most from our workshop production, um, someone brought their 16-year-old to see the show. And we have content warnings, but she wanted him to come and experience this show. And afterward, his comment was, every teenager should have to see this. Mm. And I think that really speaks to the fact that, like, we don't, talk to kids about what to look out for. Agreed. We 
maybe do an okay job of showing them what a good relationship looks like, that's maybe questionable, right? But if we do anything, we do that. But we what we don't do is talk about what an unhealthy relationship looks like. Right. Um, and just because you, even if you know what a good relationship looks like, it doesn't help you if you're not in a good one. Because then you spend all your time trying to refit the relationship you're in into your framework for a good relationship, right? Yeah. You're, you're doing the work of finding the good things because that's what you have a framework for. If you don't have a framework for what an unhealthy relationship looks like, then you don't have a category for the things that are happening exactly. to you. So you m- have a category for the good things, but then these other things are just left uncategorized and you don't know what to do with them. I think dating violence is so high, both among teens and even younger and older adults, um, and it never gets addressed. We have um, a teen dating violence awareness in February, but it's not enough to make um, education and awareness happen throughout the year. I was once in a a keynote um, conference workshop that he talked about high school is already too late Mm -hmm. to be talking to kids about dating violence. But we have problems when parents won't allow their children to be a part of um, like education about healthy relationships in junior high. Mm. And that's the time we really need to target. And we don't have to talk about dating all the time because if we talk about bullying, kids know what that is. And bullying is a, as big an issue as domestic violence is. So we can even teach about bullying and help kids equate unhealthy friendship behaviors or classroom behaviors with dating violence. And help that will help them understand this is not a healthy relationship. This is not okay. I need to get myself out of this before it gets any worse. Mackenzie, I'm seeing you react a whole lot. Oh, you know, yeah. Um, I recently found myself in a situation where I got out of a relationship. Um, and I just remember repeating to myself over and over and over again, how was I supposed to know that that wasn't normal? Mm. Nobody really tells you what to do or how to think if it isn't physically dangerous as a 22-year-old. And I'm not even, like, a teen anymore in high school. Yeah. Um, Mackenzie and I are pretty good friends outside of this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So she and I had a conversation about that, and... It is shocking how few people are willing to voice that a thing isn't normal or that a thing is not right. Um, People will observe things in relationships, and it's important to be able to ask the question, are you okay? Do they treat you this way usually? Right, like... And those questions feel uncomfortable, I think, for people because societally we're taught that other people relationships aren't our business, yeah. right? Like I've, I've heard those words come out of people's mouths on multiple occasions. And well, it's not our business. It's their business. Right. But that's not entirely true, I don't think. I would tend to agree because I'm thinking back to um, a situation right after I left the abuse when I saw a bruise on somebody else. And I was afraid to ask about it. But I think we need to get over our discomfort of asking people about what's going on 
in their relationships in order to maybe be that lifeline to them to exit the relationship at a safe place before um, they're engaged in worse behavior and it becomes even more dangerous for them. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think it's important not just for people who are ex- who have experienced domestic violence to see a play like this, but that it's important for just anyone to right. see a play like this. Because when you understand the reality and the gravity of it, um, especially in cases of emotional abuse, I think that people at least can understand the danger of physical abuse, but seeing an emotional turmoil play out on stage is, I think, really important for people to be able to name that alongside physical abuse is equally harmful. Right. Damaging your spirit is as bad as damaging Mm. your physical body. And people need to be able to ask those questions, but then respond in a compassionate and a appropriate way if someone does tell you something that's going on right um I was I was actually just telling you Janice the other day that I had this realization not that long ago that like many people who are in abusive situations I didn't tell anyone about it right but then when I did tell one person about it she drew on her own experience which was not the same as mine And told me that I should, you know, she encouraged us to get back to church together. She encouraged me to pray about it. Um, But that ultimately marriage was really important and she didn't want to see me throw it away. And how damaging is that kind of response? Right. Because most victims, if they claim a faith, will have already prayed about it. They will have already tried to do the best they can from their end of things. They may have um, relied on you know, meditation or scripture readings to try to make things better for them multiple times, and it doesn't work. So to tell someone that you have to stay in a situation that is so damaging is really uh, spiritual abuse. And um, spiritual abuse might be happening in the relationship anyway between the couple, like sometimes um, one person may use scripture readings of some sort to say, well, you have to obey me. You have to um, try harder to make this relationship work. But for someone outside the relationship to do it, it's also spiritual abuse. Mm. One, of the, one of the things that I have thought about a lot is the way in which we talk about representation Um, And it's something that we talk about a fair bit on this podcast, how important it is for people to share their own stories and for different people to be represented. And I think that we we still have a long way to go, admittedly. But I think that culturally we have started talking a lot more about representation of race and ethnicity, of sexual orientation, of gender identity, of things like that. What we haven't started talking about as much is representation of experience so people needing to see their like different aspects of their lives represented in art and in media Um, because in the same way that it can be absolutely life-changing and breathtaking 
for a young African-American girl to see an African-American little mermaid, mm-hmm. right? That's been a buzz lately. Yes. But in the same way that that can be everything, I think that on a much more serious note, perhaps, but it can be everything for someone who has experienced or is experiencing domestic violence to see their story played out in front of them. I think, again, it helps us feel that we're not alone. Mm. So many people who are victimized by any kind of abuse feel alone. And that's part of because we don't talk about relationships in society. But seeing something that you've experienced played out in front of you helps you realize that you're not alone in that situation. There are people out there who have experienced something similar. And maybe those people are a help. Maybe they can help you identify better what you're living with or connect you with resources in the community now i think you've said you've made that point a few times and i think it's worth making over and over um that you're not alone even when it feels like you are um i am a huge proponent of talkbacks in theater i think having the ability even for just a few moments to hear people unpack what they've experienced in a room together afterward is beautiful And I think with plays like this, even more so, because then not only are you watching a story play out in front of you that makes you feel like you're not alone, then you're hearing the person next to you and the person a few rows in front of you voice afterward that they connected to different parts of the story. Um, And that's incredible. When you have people in a room who've just experienced this vulnerable thing together who are then willing to be one more step vulnerable and say, part of this was my story. Thank you for doing that. Absolutely. It connects us uh, to the humanity in other people. And that's what that's what theater does well, I think. Mackenzie, vocalize your head nods. I mean... Yeah, I'll die on the hill that theater builds community more so than any other art form because when you go sit in a movie theater, yeah, you're around other people, but you're like in a void staring at a screen. But like theater is this like collective experience, like your heartbeats sync up, you're witnessing real things happening in real time. And I just, I think that it is just the most beautiful human art form. This has been a really wonderful conversation. Janice, is there any last thought that you need to share about the play or about the importance of stories like this being told? Any any final thought that you want to share? Um, I have two thoughts. Share uh, them both. Um, one <laughs> is at the end of the play, um, we talk about consent. And I mm. think that that is so important to go back into relationships, um, healthy versus unhealthy relationships and toxic behaviors. Talking about consent is such a big deal. And I think going back to the bullying and relationship conversations, that that's one that needs to always be added to those conversations. Um, And two, if you find yourself in a toxic relationship, an unhealthy relationship, if you have suddenly named that you are experiencing some sort of abuse, reach out to somebody and get help. There are people around you who are willing to help. There are people who would love to wrap their arms around you and be a support person for you. Please don't live this life alone. Thank you. Absolutely. Denise, where can people find you if they want to know more about you and your work? 
because she's worth knowing more about. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, I do have social media on Facebook and Instagram presence right now. You can look me up there at Hope Rise Thrive. And eventually I'll get um, a website going to at the same name, Hope Rise Thrive. It's a beautiful name. Thank you. And Mackenzie, let them know where they can find our fabulous faces. Yeah, so you can find this podcast at Imagine This Theater Pod on Instagram, theater with an R-E, or at Wild Imaginings Waco, and we are produced by Rogue Media Networks. Thank you again for joining us. We appreciate having what we believe are really important conversations with you. Um, We hope that you find this meaningful and exciting and inspiring, um, and we appreciate you joining us to imagine this. Yeah.